0: Hello, Moonshot listeners. I want to play a game. Claudia and Nicole are being held in the basement of an undisclosed abandoned building. Their task is to watch every movie in the Saw franchise before the release of Saw 10 on September 29th and provide thoughtful analysis. Your challenge is to listen to them cover two Saw films a week in their new miniseries, We See Saw, every
1: Monday and Thursday here on the Moonshot Network. Let the game begin.
0: Welcome back to another episode of Unwise Girls. I'm your host Jacqueline,
1: and I'm your other host Jane.
0: And we're your favorite podcast, all about the books of Rick Riordan. Today, we're reading Demigods and Magicians, the crossover book between Heroes of Olympus, Percy Jackson, and the Kane Chronicles. How are you doing it? How are you doing today, Jane?
1: I'm doing okay. I'm fucking boiling in this. Bizarre September heatwave that the UK is having for some reason.
0: Well, that's awful.
1: But I, it's fine. I went to a cafe today. Uh, I uh, drank like a milkshake. I, I got to see my baby sister. That was all cool.
0: But people don't realize maybe out there in the ether spaces that we're real human beings. So every year that passes, we also get a year older.
1: <laughs> it's fucked up.
0: Uh, and I just want to give a hearty birthday shout out to you, uh, <laughs> Jane. <laughs> because you. you are you are the special birthday girl as we record today. I uh, will play a he. milkshake you get. I will play a milkshake.
1: Uh, just a strawberry, just a, a solid strawberry.
0: You're a strawberry girl. Okay. He. The, the Riverdale theory of, of sort of strawberry of of sort of milkshakes uh states that they're like clear pers- you're you're an Archie then. Uh rather than like a chocolate where you'd be a Veronica or a, or a vanilla where you'd be a Betty.
1: Hmm, this this is interesting
0: uh-huh uh-huh uh, I, it, it, it's sort of like milkshake I, I guess like astrology or milkshake. Yeah. <laughs> what's something that's kind of like astrology like milkshake makes like phrenology I guess <laughs> 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 uh, oh but, Jesus
1: fucking Christ <laughs> I can't believe the trolls were based on phrenology <laughs> how are you today Jacqueline
0: I'm okay I just woke up uh, 15 minutes ago. <laughs> uh, and I'm, I'm I'm raring to record.
1: Let's uh, fucking go. Well, guess what we're doing right now?
0: We're recording,
1: and uh, <laughs> today we read th- the Dimming Gods of Magicians. Jane, what is this thing? Uh, this is a compilation of um three short stories that were published in I think uh Serpent Shadow, uh, Mark of Athena, and House of Hades, and these were kind of tucked away in the back of some of the published editions of these.
0: Yeah, yeah, they were all published from like 2013 to 2015. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they all take place, I think, pretty much after, firmly after Heroes of Olympus. Uh, yeah, which it's
1: weird that we we just have like Percy and Annabeth content that's set after uh Blood of Olympus, but like before that book was published.
0: Yeah, yeah, that it's really true. Like, you, you can tell Rick Riordan had the big outline ready, uh, mm. which, which makes some things surprising for sure. Um <laughs> uh, sometimes makes you think maybe he it was less that he had a had the big outline ready and maybe more that he just knew like, alright, Percy and Annabeth probably just gonna be operating at one hundred percent by the end of this.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean notable by their absence is any other hero of Olympus, not even like a mention of any of them. Yeah. Which I assume is to stop fans from being able to figure out who dies at the end, because I imagine that was the source of a lot of speculation. That's true. That's true. Uh and
0: this is unlike the other like various short story collections we've done because it's not it's it's pure stories. There's no crosswords, there's no uh, like like extra trivia. Mm-hmm. It's just the stories. It's just the compilation of those.
1: It's just the stories. and even more interestingly is that as these were being released, they actually all form like one uh, longer narrative. Like these all yeah. lead into each other in a way that the other short stories didn't. They were all very standalone.
0: Definitely, yeah, and I, I think that's actually pretty interesting. Like, I think yeah. it's 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 fun to sort of like provide these. It's like the backup issues in a comic book or something. Like yeah, you're yeah. reading like Superman, and then you, in the back you get like <laughs> a like ha, like a third of an issue of like Power Girl or whatever, Ooh, and then yeah. you sort of keep picking up Supermans, and you get you sort of get the Power Girl story along with it as time goes on. It's it's kind of like that. Hell um, yeah. And it is actually interesting that <laughs> this release after this. Like, all finished releasing by the time of House of Hades, because I guess if you read that, you'd basically know, like, all right, well, they're going to be okay by the end of, like, (laughs) let this kind of spoil, like, yeah, Percy
1: and Annabeth will be fine, right? A little bit. I mean, I don't think, Percy and Annabeth aren't going to die. They're basically the mascot characters at this point. They'll bump off one of the new kids. I guess the most likely
0: one they would have done that was House of Hades and the final mm. one was where it's kind of like full confirmed that where this takes place were released in that book. So I guess yeah. that makes sense.
1: I think I, I twigged for sure that it was like post Heroes of Olympus during the second story, but like it's, it's only like hinted at in that one.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, do we want to, do you want me to give you the summary for the first story and we can just talk about that one?
1: Uh, I, Could I do a brief bit of Percy Jackson news first? Oh, sure, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was hanging around at a bookshop earlier today and found out that they are apparently doing a a reissue of um, Lightning Thief in the UK. Ooh. Uh, And I know there are two major improvements in this version. Uh, One is the improved uh, cover art, which if I can find my phone, I will send you a picture of. It's much better than the... um, I don't think I like it quite as much as the US one, but it is a big improvement over the shitty, like, um, weird Photoshop stuff. That was in um, the previous version.
0: Yeah. Oh, that, that is fun. That's fun.
1: Yeah, it's I, I, I think the US version is better, but this is still pretty good. Uh, the other improvement uh, is that one thing that we talked about, with the localization changes was uh, the switch from the lightning thief to Percy Jackson, the lightning thief in the UK to make it sound more like Harry Potter, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you look closely at this one you'll see that it is now percy jackson and the olympians is the name of the series and then just the lightning thief is the title of the book yeah so i i just like that as like a, a sign that it's no longer a good marketing tactic to hitch your wagon to harry potter we're fucking winning <laughs> transgender anyway. bitches across the world rise up damn right anyway i just thought that was interesting
0: it is interesting thank you for letting us know we we've always got to get the sort of globe we've got to take the global view you uh all right story number one the son of sobek on a mission to investigate a mysterious new cryptid called the long island swamp monster carter kane the teenage head magician of brooklyn house ends up in a river by a suburb where he pretty much immediately finds and then gets eaten by the monster a huge crocodile rest in peace carter Not really though. He gets swallowed in one bite, so he's just stuck inside the croc's gullet. He desperately tries to figure out some spell he can use to get out, but doesn't actually have to do anything to get spit up. Some weird kid with a glowing sword attacked, causing it to regurgitate. Percy Jackson. Uh they get into a big misunderstanding where Percy thinks Carter is the monster's owner and escape spirit from the doors of death, and Carter thinks Percy is a weirdly racist magician. Things get heated, Carter ends up magic punching Percy, sending him flying, and then Percy comes back with a huge wave of water. It's a big fight that only ends when they both realize they're from completely different mythologies and should probably deal with the huge crocodile that, from the sound of the screams coming, is about to eat some kids. While running over, they introduce themselves properly and Carter explains that the monster is a Petsikos, a mascot from the crocodile god Sobuk's temple that was itself worshipped as a living god. When they get to the suburb, they start the second big fight of the story, backed up by a bunch of neighborhood children throwing rocks and toys who they have to simultaneously protect. Horus avatars. Floods made of sweat. Big chomps. It's a raucous battle that only ends when Carter unlocks the Petsikosis necklace, which is the thing that makes it a god. Without it, it's just a little baby croc. Afterwards, they go to a diner and debrief about how someone must have intentionally placed the necklace to cause chaos. And not only that, but because it had a Greek name was Eden Pegasi, someone probably wanted Percy and Carter to find each other. Intentionally mixing up Greek and Egyptian. They decide not to share too many secrets, but Carter still draws an emergency hieroglyph in Percy's hand, so that they can find each other again when trouble inevitably comes. The end. So Jane, what'd you think of, uh, the son of Soak?
1: Uh, this is this is a perfectly serviceable little crossover story, I think. Yeah, it's I th- I think that this has the problem that we had for a lot of Kane Chronicles, where Carter is not a particularly interesting or compelling narrator or character.
0: No, yeah, he's he's kind of generic in that way. Like I, at first, I was like, oh, it's Carter. It's been so long since you know we've seen Carter, but he doesn't have a super distinct personality like
1: yeah i i don't want to get too ahead of ourselves but like the the sadie and annabeth crossover story i was like oh these these two could be friends these are like they got chemistry they're working well together and like percy is just a much better defined character than carter (laughs)
0: Yeah, he kind of steals the show once he shows up. And I, I don't know. There are moments when Carter, like, has his big personality bits, like, where he's, like, just, like, moments where his, like, absolute fucking nerddom shows through. (laughs) Uh, Like, where he describes, he describes, like, Percy or the Crocodile or something and says it, uh, he looked mightily torqued off and I just immediately wanted to shove him into a fucking locker. (laughs)
1: Like... This, this, Carter,
0: you can't just say things
1: like that. I, I, there, there is one interesting, distinct thing that we get from Carter's narration in this story, which absolutely yeah. blindsided me. What was which, that? Uh, which was him assuming that Percy was a racist. Uh-huh.
0: <laughs> this is, this is really common for demigods. It seems like now, I, I'm. It's the, Percy. Uh-huh.
1: It being said here means that this misunderstanding must happen whenever there's a mixed-race demigod, right?
0: We've seen it happen before. <laughs>
1: this happened with Piper. Did it? Oh my fucking god. I forgot about I- I'm that. Almost a sur-
0: I think Piper was like, what the fuck? Why would you call me that? That's racist. <laughs> uh, and, yeah, it's it's kind right, of we should, like... We
1: uh-huh. should clarify what Percy actually said that made Carter think he was a racist. Oh, which yeah. Which is, Percy assumed that Carter was a half-blood. And because Carter's dad is black and his mom is white, he assumed that Percy was making, like, a derogatory comment about him being mixed race.
0: Yeah, it's... (laughs) Honestly, what else would you think he was saying if you were a normal human being? Which Carter is not a normal human being, but if you were not a fucking Greek demigod or whatever.
1: I can see how he gets there. It's just one of those things that smashes you in the face out of nowhere because, like like you're talking about Carter's race really stopped being a thing after Red Pyramid it kind of got like Uh shuffled off into the background and it just like yeah yeah, it just kind of crops right back up here really suddenly with like oh yeah beloved series protagonist is a racist maybe
0: (laughs) Percy Jackson casual racism moment and <laughs> you know I think he learns from it he grows from it but he does get his rightly deserved punishment when Carter fucking punches him out of his shoes <laughs> which is I think maybe the best moment of this one of the best moments from the story it's very good
1: because they're they're, they're in a fucking like bog with their feet being sucked down so Carter literally like smacks him with a punch swell and Percy flies out of his shoes yes
0: yes it's great um, I, I think their entire, like, encounter this, like, good old-fashioned comic book misunderstanding, you know?
1: This is Batman v Superman to me. This is
0: Batman v Superman, this is Thor and fucking the Hulk or whatever. Mm-hmm. It, it's all the same thing, and I honestly think Rick Riordan does a pretty good job of it. Like, I they have a fun dynamic when they're trying to genuinely murder each other.
1: Yeah, like, when I say, like, serviceable crossover story, I mean, like, if I read this in the back of uh, Son of uh, uh, Serpent Shadow when I was, like, 12, I'd have been delighted by this.
0: Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, I think that's a good context for it. Like, I think, like, keeping in mind that we just finished out the Kane Chronicles when we originally read this, uh, mm. like, that, I think that makes a lot of sense in a way. Like, it feels like a little bit of a,
1: like, the adventures will continue for Carter Kane, you know? It's it's kind of sad actually because I realized while we were reading this that like Carter and Sadie are the first set of protagonists that we will like definitively say goodbye to.
0: Yeah, yeah, I don't think they ever will come back after we're done with this story.
1: Yeah, fucked up. Yeah,
0: uh, Carter explicitly says the House of Life magicians are god cops.
1: He does say that, doesn't he?
0: Why do you say this, Carter? <laughs> like I, I guess that's kind of because because he's a massive fucking narc. He is, yeah. This is this is common <laughs> Carter behavior. Um, it's just so funny to like know that he is still the exact same guy he was. I guess like uh-huh. and the, the magicians are kind of just as lame as they were before.
1: <laughs> God, they are a bit lame.
0: Uh, hey, speaking of, I, I have a question for you as a, as a British woman. Uh huh. Ribina. we've talked a little bit about Ribena before with Sadie, right? Uh, yeah, but. Uh, Freak, the, the animal, the animal that Carter rides around on, is, has, like, this incredible anti Ribena stance, where, like, uh, if, if Sadie has Ribina within, like, the house at all, it'll just, like, fly off. What, what's your opinion on Ribena? Uh,
1: I, 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 am a Ribena enjoyer. I actually, before we started recording, put a bottle of Ribena in the fridge to chill so I can slam it after we're done recording. Okay. It's, it's, I don't know, I don't understand Carter's objection to it. It's just, like, it's, it's a blue blackberry, like, soft drink. It's tasty. I support Sadie in all things.
0: Uh, oh, absolutely. Carter, as always, Carter is wrong. Sadie is right. <laughs> I, one thing I really like about this story is that it's situated so well in the mortal world.
1: Yeah, this is some fucking urban fantasy.
0: That It's just, like, so refreshing because it has never happened.
1: Yeah. Uh, in so,
0: so many books.
1: Yeah, I mean, this this was kind of a problem that happened in Kane Chronicles, and it would have been refreshing at the time, but, like, after five books of Heroes of Olympus, just, like, having them have to, like, interact with mortal kids who can, like, see through the mist is, like, a cool twist to have in a fight.
0: Yeah, and it's not just that. Like, Carter is responding to a problem because it's gotten on the news, right? like I, I think that like I mean I especially love the bit with the kids we can talk more about that but like I, I just like that this is like yeah they live on human earth in human New York City <laughs> like they they are going to I don't know like Carter specifically calls out like you know as soon as the mortals are talking about it or as, like, as soon as the regular guys are talking about it you know things are really bad mm-hmm. and I just like that we're actually getting a sense of that. I, I really appreciate being back there, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, it's it's very good. And it's it it makes a lot of sense as well for that to be like the meeting ground for these two worlds.
0: Yeah, definitely, because that's sort of the thing that connects them. They are both part of the real world in that way. Yeah.
1: Uh kinda gross when Carter gets eaten. It's kind of gross. I feel like instantly eating shit and getting eaten is very in character for Carter.
0: It is. It really is. He really Uh, does think he's
1: hot shit and absolutely is not.
0: He may have the fastest book to death start, like, book to death ratio, like, start to ratio. (laughs) It's, it's like two pages. It's like, yeah, I, I just like how, I don't know, grody it is. Like, I like that he talks about, like, oh, I'm, like, completely, like, Suctioned inside of this, like inside of this monster's gut.
1: Rick Ryden goes into very specific detail about the process of Carter being like eaten whole and then being like c- fucking compressed inside this monster's tummy.
0: He was practicing for uh for House of Hades, I guess.
1: Or <laughs> he would also do some pretty gnarly descriptions. Uh huh. I mean, I was thinking more in the case of like this is vor. This is vor. I mean, in a very technical <laughs> sense, this is vor. You're right. I should put the fucking um, uh, content warning from the Homestuck epilogues at the front of this. (laughs) That'd be funny. (laughs) Uh. Uh, I enjoy that Carter says that he has not felt as exhausted in a fight uh, like this since uh, he fought uh, Apophis at the end of Serpent Shadow, which is very funny to me because this is just a big crocodile.
0: Yeah. I, I, I don't really... I mean, I understand that it's a scary big crocodile, but I feel like they've both dealt with worse monsters than this to an
1: extent. Absolutely
0: and i i guess like is it mostly the kids do you think like that them being off to the side makes it a harder fight
1: i guess i'll i'll be charitable and assume that instead of just that like kosh is really like off his game now that his trilogy's done
0: Uh uh-huh i want to talk more about the kids actually i think like because they have um basically i there's a group of neighborhood children who can see through the mist see the big crocodile uh And gather as, like, a child, like... Like, a child party. uh, To just, like, throw stones and toys and, like, scream at the monster and go for the cops. Like,
1: it's kind of wild. Yeah, it's kind of an extension of something we've seen before because it's cropped up a couple of times that, like, a kid walking with a parent will, like, see one of the demigods doing something wacky through the mist and, like, tug on their sleeve and be like, hey, look at this funny thing. And the adult just doesn't notice. So it's kind of always been implied that kids can see through the mist a lot better because they haven't lost the wonder in their hearts or whatever the fuck. But this is mm-hmm. the first time we've seen that on kind of like a larger scale with a bunch of them being able to do
0: Yeah, definitely. And it's interesting the line where like this is one of those like code name kid- kids next door situations <laughs> where like you only you're only a child until you're like 13 because like yeah. all of Percy's classmates at the start of this series couldn't see through the mist, right? Yeah. Uh, so it, I, I think it must have been a cut off. Like if you're a teenager, you're no longer a child, and therefore yeah, you can't yeah. see through the mist. And you're jaded by the world. You you know too much about
1: Twitter.com and MySpace and such. You're you're too cynical, and you don't talk to your dad Rick Riordan anymore because you're always on your phone. <laughs> Haley, God, um, I forgot just how cool avatars could be. Yeah, the avatar thing is very cool. Fucking Carter gets a big ghost mech. I always like that. I like... I enjoy that Percy throughout these stories refers to it as a big chicken. Yes. Because it's like Horace's falcon head aspect.
0: He's so Sadie (laughs) Car.
1: Oh, fuck. We'll get to that. We'll get...
0: Oh, my God. Yeah, (laughs) we will. (laughs) Uh, Also, my final thing is just like... There's a bit where, like, Carter says that the person that Percy most reminds him of is Horace, and... I thought that was really interesting, like, describing not just sort of his general, like, attitude in battle, but the way he holds himself when, like, there's a part where he is, like, giving orders to the children and, like, deploying them, and you can imagine, like, him having to do this, like, during the battle, like, like, during the Battle of Manhattan or something, just having to send children maybe, like, around this age
1: to, like, do battle, you know what I mean? (laughs) Um, And I think that this is an insane thing that Carter is saying. I don't think it's true at all. uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Like, I, my memory's maybe a little bit fuzzy because it's been a while since King Chronicles, but to my recollection, Horace was just a massive piece of shit. Like an arrogant, well, condescending, just...
0: Now, Jane, I don't know that Carter comes away with a much different impression than that of Percy at That's, the end of the story. You know what?
1: That's a fair point.
0: <laughs> I mean, a little bit. Like, they end up seeing... I, I feel like it's actually kind of the same arc a little bit. Like, he, <laughs> they they come away with a mutual respect for each other, but they're like... Only slightly friends, I would say.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: Uh, it, I, I think overall, I've really, I, I, enjoyed this crossover. Like you said, I think it was perfectly serviceable. If I read it at the end of *Serpent's Shadow*, I would have had a good time. It's classic crossover stuff, and it really sells the idea that like these two characters and mythologies mixing is like weird and dangerous. I think. Yeah. Uh, and it has a has an intriguing bit of mystery behind it, which I think we'll get to in a bit more
1: in the second story hell yes Uh, do you want me to hit you with a summary for that yeah let's do it so the second story is the staff of serapis we catch up with annabeth on the subway where she encounters a two headed monster a combination lion and wolf midway through fighting it the train pulls into a station where a labrador monster is being fought by one sadie Kane. everyone ends up fighting on the train before it derails crashing in brooklyn sadie drags annabeth from the wreckage and onto rockaway beach where the two catch each other up on their various worlds much more painlessly than carter and percy did this They recuperate from the fight, and Annabeth speculates that the Labrador monster was in fact a missing third head of the lion-wolf monster. And that furthermore, this monster might actually be able to turn into a staff belonging to a god. The pair track the monsters to a decrepit apartment building, and within, find Serapis, the leader of the short-lived combination Greek-Egyptian pantheon, set up by Ptolemy after Alexander the Great conquered Egypt. Serapis plans to rebuild Alexandria, library and all, right here in New York, and once again set himself up as king of all the gods. This is bad for all sorts of reasons, the main one being that his fusion of Greek and Egyptian magic causes his presence to be actively corrosive to reality. Annabeth attempts to distract Serapis through flattery and offering to be his new high priestess, while Sadie sneaks around and tries to to find a way to defeat him. At the very least Annabeth is not unarmed, as she holds onto one of Sadie's wands and it becomes a new bronze dagger for her. When Serapis demands that his new high priestess hand him his staff slash triple-headed monster demon, Annabeth stabs it, damaging but not destroying the artifact. At the same time, Sadie springs her attack, but her binding spell fails since the god is not fully Egyptian and therefore not subject subject to her words of power. Thankfully, this does not make him immune to being clocked with a 2x4, which Annabeth swiftly does while he's gloating. In his rage, Serapis collapses the building on top of himself, giving Sadie and Annabeth a moment to regroup. Annabeth realises that the three animal heads on his staff each represent past, present, and future, and that if she destroys the future head, the Labrador, then Serapis' own future plans will also collapse. She also at this point realises that her backpack, which had been filled with architecture textbooks, is suddenly light. Instead, at the bottom is a square of ambrosia and her Yankees cap. Annabeth's mother has returned her invisibility cap as a boon right when she needs it most. This time, Sadie provides the distraction while Annabeth, using her cap, sneaks up on Serapis and, after a lot of eternal struggle, works up the willpower to stab the doggy face with her knife. This destroys Serapis and the girls celebrate, but Sadie suspects this is not the end. She that both this and the events of Son of Sobek were set in motion by, Se- by Setni as experiments to bring the Greek and Egyptian world together, allowing Setni to hybridise their magic and rule both, all by using the book of Thoth that he stole from the canes at the end of Servant Shadow. Annabeth and Sadie exchange phone numbers and promise to keep in touch. When Setni makes his move, it will require the power of both demigods and magicians to stop him. So, Jacqueline, what do you think of Staff of Serapis?
0: You didn't say, the end. Fuck, the end. He. <laughs> Uh, you're posthumous the, uh, not posthumous, Jane Jane, no, oh. Jane come back to me
1: and on my birthday of all days
0: oh god that's so sad, well at least it's easy, an easy easier to write in your tombstone <laughs> um, uh, so oh that's awful, no you're, you're gonna survive for so many more years <laughs> Thank you, Jacqueline. Um, I, I like this one
1: I I, I, I enjoyed it truly I like... we are back in Kane Chronicles land where you read the Carter one and it's a bit eh, and then you get to the Sadie one and you're like fuck yes we're so back
0: yeah honestly yeah <laughs> I it's Sadie just is, is such a refreshing presence I think um, definitely her, her, her quirky British girl charm it's it's kind of wild like also I just like how this all is situated in like Annabeth's
1: one big fail day it's the fact that after the events of Heroes of Olympus Hera is still cursing her and leaving cow shit for her to stand in is it, <laughs> wild to me it's really funny fuck the gods this this should they should have convinced percy to take godhood and destroy them all to be honest
0: honestly yeah we'll we'll talk more about that uh-huh. but the alternate we're we're gonna publish an alternate ending in the next edition of demigods and magicians where that happens
1: <laughs> I- apparently you can do that
0: apparently so yeah we were gonna take we're gonna take the the camp half chronicles by the reins and start <laughs> publishing official uh unwise girls endings and <laughs> is just like really like she she's getting she's stepping in poop she's not getting to go on dates with percy she has a fucking like internship uh it's, no, like an internship interview, which she thinks she failed, and mm-hmm. that's like that—that's too real. I don't know. I like—I like that she is sent into the story very like thrown off and out of her element.
1: Because, yeah, like, definitely.
0: She also isn't able to do like hashtag knowledge girl. Like she's not doing hashtag wise girl. Like she can't like summon all this information at at will about like the Egyptian gods or monsters or anything like that.
1: Yeah, it fits very well with her freaking out later because like she she feels like she is the the smart one who has the knowledge about everything that's going on and then sadie just like crashes sideways into her life and is like hey by the way there's a whole other mythology you didn't know about and it freaks her out
0: yeah yeah i really i think that's really good because annabeth is like i don't know she she is so situated in the idea of like i have to always be the one who's making everything okay because i'm so smart yeah and her reality is just completely shattered here
1: and I, I like how it retroactively uh, characterizes Percy and son of Sobek as being completely unbothered about this because, as always, he is fucking head empty.
0: Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, they, don't, they don't share quite as much as Sadie and Annabeth do either. Mm. Uh, I, I think it's funny that, like, I don't know. I, I kind of feel like a big recurring thing throughout this that we'll talk about is, like, aren't isn't it different when boys are friends versus when girls are friends? Yeah, like, it definitely
1: comes up uh, even more in, like, the next story.
0: Yeah, and, and so I think this is one of these times th- where it's like, Annabeth and Sadie are just instantly like, okay, so yeah, there's Egyptian mythology and Greek mythology, and it's all sort of part of the same world. Mm-hmm. And Carter and, and Percy are like, I don't quite trust you, man, but I guess we'll, <laughs> you know, you can you can take the hint that I'm from some sort of camp, and like, you know, like, it, it's fun. It's almost, it kind of retroactively, like you said, makes it funny. Like that interaction yeah, yeah, where it's yeah, like, yeah. you don't need to
1: be like this right now. <laughs> I mean from from the end of the story, the thing that makes that interaction the funniest is like Carter doing this like emergency hieroglyph and drawing it on uh, Percy's hand to like say, you know, when you need my help, uh, you'll be able to contact me through this. And then you come forward to this one and at the end Sadie and Annabeth just exchange phone numbers.
0: Like normal human beings.
1: <laughs> God, yeah.
0: Uh Annabeth's like immediate impression of Sadie is also pretty funny to me because she's like immediately sees herself in Sadie she's like oh it's like a young version of me and like a karate gi yeah Uh, but then that is dispelled when Sadie opens her mouth and uh one one of the best sentences of this whole thing uh British Annabeth thought
1: (laughs) practically doing the fucking far quad pointing
0: (laughs) you're right god
1: (laughs) Uh, I don't like the, um, I think one of the things we really enjoyed about the end of Red Pyramid was, like, when Sadie kind of mastered her uh, duart vision. And she could kind of, like, start seeing, like, the, the underlying magical mechanics of the world and stuff. And that was just, like, a really cool moment. I don't like that she can confer that on Annabeth by giving her a cream.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it's interesting. I, I guess this this does go back to something that I did like from from Kane Chronicles more so, which is, like, the, the proliferation of, like, magical items and tools. Yeah, yeah. But you're right that it, like, that was a big, like, Sadie character bit. And she she can just sort of give the temporary unlock to Annabeth, which actually happens a couple of times in these
1: stories. Annabeth gets a lot of temporary power ups, which she's not allowed to keep, which I think is bullshit. She should just. It is bullshit. She should just have, like, Egyptian magic uh, tools and stuff uh, when we get to Trials of Apollo with no explanation.
0: I think that would be awesome, honestly. <laughs> like, no, I. I understand that these are, like, side stories, and you can't really make them, like... I mean, maybe you can't, you can't really, like, keep them Except for all the times through. that he did. Yeah, exactly. I, I feel like... <laughs> I don't know. Like, wouldn't it just be interesting? Well, I guess this is more of a Crown of Ptolemy thing. But wouldn't it just be, like, interesting if Annabeth had to see the
1: Duat for the rest of her life? God, that would be fucked up.
0: Yeah. I mean, not even the magicians really have to constantly be seeing the Duat, so... Yeah. I... And this presents an interesting question of, like, the relationship between the Mist and the duot, which are the two, like, concepts that Rick has to sort of separate the mortal world from uh,
1: the, the mythological in a big, like, slightly different ways. Yeah. I, I think what's, what's... So some interesting things are being laid out in the side stories about this, and it's wild that all this stuff only ever goes in the side stories rather than the main books, where um, I, I think it's in this one where Annabeth mentions that she thinks, like, the mist is like a layer of the duot.
0: Yeah, I think I think that is her theory, or maybe that comes up in chronotomy But either way, that is like her theory is that like the mist
1: is just is, and the duot are basically the same thing, which is insane because we know from Son of Magic that Hecate created the mist. So did Hecate also create the duot? What the was fuck? there one less layer? Was there one less
0: layer of the duot before?
1: Yeah, I I don't know. No, the world building in these books be sa- is weird. <laughs>
0: uh huh. It it should be said that Hecate is a magician, right? Oh, true. This is me doing my fucking Pepe Sylvia board. If Hecate <laughs> is a magician, maybe she's secretly
1: an Egyptian
0: magician, and mm. the like the the one true god that she seems to worship is actually Ra. And... <laughs>
1: god i did think it was extremely funny that i i know that like we can't talk about what any of the other heroes of olympus because like the series hasn't ended yet uh but the fact that these magicians come up and annabeth does not even once mention her good friend hazel who this story was published at the end of house of hades so she did like it's it's in the canon at this point that hazel is a magician she should have
0: said something in, in crown of ptolemy yeah yeah I, I like the monster here. I like that it's like a big—I I don't know. I like that we've got a weird chimera. It's just a fucking Cerberus. taxidermy
1: monster thing.
0: Yeah, it, it's it's quirky, but also I, the idea that it's like a big scepter, like a mm. huge guy would just hold this monster and be like, "This is
1: my <laughs> scepter," is really cool to me. It's very cool. Uh, I like Serapis as well as a villain. Yeah, he's like—he's not particularly complex. He's just like. He's just, like, a big, dumb god guy, but sometimes that's all you need.
0: I completely agreed. Yeah, like, he—he he's just this big, like, I am going to rule the world once before I have, like, almost done it Uh, type. I—I I, I, that's It's just, we got the, like, monster fight in Son of Sobek, now we're getting the god fight here. Yeah. Uh, like, the sort of, like, minor god fight type of thing, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he... he <laughs> He, all the while, he just has this like semi-Hermes style staff, right? Like it's <laughs> the the monster here is kind of like what the fuck were their name? What were the snakes' names? Martha and George. Right,
1: George. I don't know and Martha. why I know okay. that off the top of my fucking head.
0: I couldn't remember if it was George and Martha or
1: Bob and Martha. It's it's definitely George and Martha.
0: Right. I I looked them up a little while back. Did you know that there's a cartoon called George and Martha? No. It's a it's a it's a or a, a series of children's books. It's just about like two hippos called
1: George and Martha. I and, I have to wonder if that's if Rick was like reading that to his kids and that's where he make the names from.
0: Well, I went. I I was interested in this, so I was looking a bit more into it, and there's just like a long a long history of like a a pair's named George and Martha. It's huh. Like this is also. Do you know who's afraid of Virginia Woolf is also about a middle-aged couple named Martha and George? (laughs) (laughs) Fucking weird. Yeah, I I guess this is a long tradition, I suppose. Yeah, Annabeth's uh, boasting here is really funny. Yeah,
1: it's (laughs) her being like, oh yeah, I was the head of Athena's cults because she like... Was that because she killed those guys in Mark of Athena? (laughs)
0: Yeah, she pulled the same shit there where she is like she was like, I am the Magna Mater, or whatever.
1: The big mother. The,
0: I love I love that our fucking return to the big mother would it would just like Serapis just like, ah, I see, so you are the big mother of Athena's cult. It's very funny.
1: Like he he clocks what it means, but he doesn't understand that it's ridiculous.
0: Yes, yes, exactly that. Um the idea we get i'm uh, um, sorry actually and i just i'm I'm glad that we're returning to this conceptualization of annabeth as like she is she is someone who will fucking boast and bullshit her way out of a situation you know she she's
1: got that pride
0: what do you think of like just the, this idea of serapis is like usurpation of other deities like someone who can just come in and become like all of these other gods and fill
1: all their roles uh i think it's like it's it's very interesting but it also like exposes like something really weird about the way that these mythologies are set up I think uh-huh. where it's like he he is like positioning himself to be like the this new god king uh, and like because he's mixing like the Egyptian and Greek magic is like Annabeth mentions how it's like giving her like weird magic radiation is like nauseating to her and it's just I don't know it's very funny to me that like we have these distinct categories of Egyptian and Greek when like Egypt and Greece and their modern nation state forms did not exist back then. Like, Greece was just a peninsula with a bunch of fucking city states on it. And Egypt was like a bunch of different sizes and shapes over the course of like a long ass empire.
0: Yeah. It, it's proposing a retroactive, um, a, re- a retroactive and sort of all encompassing general, like, spirit of the nation, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like, it, there, a, like, a sort of quintessential and, um, I don't know, just, like, an essentialized sort of nationhood. I don't know. Um, yeah. And that that is a really strange point of view to have, but also not one that is especially uncommon to this series, you know?
1: Yeah, definitely not. I, it just, this just makes it stand out a lot more. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think we're we'll probably
0: going to get to a bit more of that in the Crown of Ptolemy.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's also, speaking of, like, slightly weird ideas that get exposed here, this story sure is about, like, um... A dilapidated apartment building that's been abandoned by everyone else, being stalked by a monster that Annabeth explicitly says looked like a homeless guy before, and it's like threatening threatening civilization in the still inhabited parts of the city, and it's just like I don't know these these like weird anxieties you can see cropping up with Rick about like people falling out of civilization and then being able to like threaten it from the outside
0: yeah yeah absolutely that is that is a really good call because i think that th- there are actually two bits here where rick uh takes the like how do i describe this person is really weird uh and like uncomfortable
1: for someone to be around all right they're homeless yeah that happens in the next story as well god oh annabeth getting her yankees cat back yeah yeah i like that oh, bit. this is this is just such a nice moment because she lost it in mark of athena right Yeah. I think uh, Athena, like, nicked it off her when she was, like, losing it. Either that,
0: or did it fall into Tartarus? It might have fallen into
1: Tartarus. I don't remember her having it in Mark of Athena. Right, okay. Yeah, it's a sweet moment that she gets it back. I feel like Annabeth's relationship with her mom is, like, you know, it's very aloof because of who Athena is, but I feel like they've always been closer than a lot of the other, like, godly parents.
0: Definitely, yeah. I, I, I that was one of my favorite bits too, just because like it, it kind of pays off like, actually you know what? this is this was published at the end of Mark of Athena. This is like meant to sort of like finish that story a little bit. Oh yeah, way. yeah that makes sense. That that's really fun to me actually. The the big final thing I just want to say is, Setne confirmed. I fucking like hooted and hollered.
1: Yeah, I was so fucking excited. We we were like begging for this, and we've gotten exactly what we wanted god it's so good <laughs> i do think it's very funny that like these these stories kind of frame him as this chess master who's bringing these these two worlds together when like his characterization in kane chronicles and it continues into the story where he appears is that he is just like a smarmy jackass
0: yes yes god it's mm, it's really good uh i guess speaking of do you want should we go on to crown of ptolemy let's go all right crown of ptolemy we start off in the action right away. Athena told Annabeth that trouble was brewing on Governor's Island, so she and Percy truck down there to see what was going on and end up finding Setne, the main man himself, doing some dangerous ritual in an old fort while summoning a hurricane, surrounded by fire-breathing wing of serpents. They run in to try and stop him, pretty summarily get taken down by Setne's magic, as he explains that he's been studying the Book of Thoth and Serapis' incantations to figure out how to make himself into a god. First, he's gotta summon Wajat, the protector of Lower Egypt, And eater, which he does with surprising ease, securing her crown. Now he only has to get the crown of Upper Egypt and create the crown of Ptolemy to become a god and rule the whole world, both Greek and Egyptian. The two parts of the world, I guess. Uh, (laughs) It's looking pretty dire. Percy gets a direct stab in, and all that does is get Riptide absorbed into Setny's growing strength. Luckily, at just that moment, backup arrives. Sadie, Carter, and a camel drop from the sky just as Setny disappears to enact the rest of his plan. They follow him to the south point of the island where he's preparing to summon the guardian of Upper Egypt, the vulture goddess Nekbet, To defeat Setni, they decide they'll all use each other's magic and weapons, doing their own mixing of Greek and Egyptian. The group charges forward to interrupt Setni's summoning ritual, but are stymied by an explosion of the earth. They're not able to stop Nekbet's appearance, but they still manage to tackle her out of the way to prevent her being consumed. Unfortunately, that just knocks her crown off. Setni's got the crown of Ptolemy, and all they managed to get was saving the goddess and taking the Book of Thoth. Not that Setney even needs it anymore. If they want to stop him, they'll need a distraction fighting him while everyone else prepares a trap, and Necbat thinks the best bet would be if Percy hosted her. A demigod hosting a goddess would be an unexpected but powerful combination. They do it, taking the lead while everyone else serves as occasional distractions. Annabeth somehow even begins casting the containment spell, reading the ancient Egyptian magic from the Book of Thoth, while Percy grabs Setney with his at avatar and flies them into the storm. The magician tries to get into his head by offering him the immortality he once refused from the Olympians, claiming it's the only way he'll ever be able to make positive changes for the world, but Percy isn't interested in that. Unfortunately, that still gave Setney enough opportunity to stall for time while he figured out how to dismiss the neckbat avatar, and they both fall down. Into the sea. The sea. Percy Jack- yeah, the battle's over. He brings (laughs) Setney back to the surface where the containment spell has been fully set up. He's forever trapped inside of a snow globe. Afterward, they sit at the old fort, getting some rest and eating sandwiches while discussing the day's event. Sadie explains that Annabeth was able to use Egyptian magic because Sadie revealed her true name to her, temporarily giving Annabeth access to her experiences and abilities. Carter decides to bring the crown to the First home in Egypt, where Uncle Amos can keep it safe and locked away, and, for the safety of everyone, they all promise to keep their worlds separate. They exchange phone numbers just in case they ever need to have another crossover episode. Sadie and Carter fly off back to Brooklyn House, and Annabeth and Percy decide to go out for cheeseburgers. The end. So Jane, what'd you think of Crown You
1: know, I- this- this is a good little short story, and I kind of appreciate that it means that we get an actually good send-off for the King Chronicles kids. Yeah, yeah. Cuz we were not hot on Serpent Shadow.
0: <laughs> no, we really weren't. I I really like this as like an end for them because it it I don't know, it hits all the right beats for like knowing that they like they're off living a satisfying
1: life somewhere. Like they I don't know. It it wraps up like the the hanging thread from Serpent Shadow and it also like put the, this is a story that like makes them the experts. Like they're the ones that know what's going on cuz it's one of their villains that they're fighting. And it makes it feel like, yeah, these these are the kids who've, like, done their trilogy, gone through the character arcs, and they're, like, cool and competent now.
0: Yeah, it would be so... I, I think these stories would be so much weaker if it wasn't, like, Egyptian magic happening. Mm. And I also think it just makes sense sort of from a... I guess, like, a marketing perspective, like... I think the big reason to write Demigods and Magicians from that sort of angle is to get more people to read Kane Chronicles, not the other yeah, way around. Yeah, right? definitely. Uh, to get Percy Jackson fans, Heroes of Olympus fans to read Kane Chronicles, and uh, like that—that that, I think by making Carter and Sadie these kind of like badasses a little bit, or yeah. at least like these these really cool, incompetent like people who you can tell have their own history—it it makes you want to like go back and see what's up with that. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think like, I think that that's definitely a good shout, especially for this story, which uh, includes Percy like backfills a lot of information about just like who he is and what he's doing that he doesn't in the other ones. Uh, And I have a sneaking suspicion that as well as being published in the back of uh, a couple of paperbacks, that this was also one of those uh, stories that is like sold in its own little paperback at a book fair for like a pound that you can buy with a voucher or something. Ooh, I think that's probably true. (laughs) <laughs> like Rick Riordan books are kind of
0: a staple of those. Yeah. I, I think of like, oh man. Oh God. I want to just go into it. But did you have scholastic book fairs in, where you went to school? Okay. That's awesome. I, any like memorable, like things you saw on the shelves or pickups or anything.
1: Yeah. I st- I think I still have some of these skullduggery pleasant short stories. I bought those knocking around. There were some really good ones in there. That's awesome.
0: I, Oh, I think my biggest... My biggest memory is always seeing... um, I don't remember what the series is called exactly, but it was like... The Vampire Todd or something like that. <laughs> uh, was the series that always... The Vampire Todd? The seri- oh, let me see. It's called The Chronicles of Vladimir Todd, is what it was called. Oh, okay. Um, That's still... <laughs> and it just always had these pictures of this just like emo boy on the cover. Um, who... Who was Vladimir Todd? I suppose. Um, I think actually, I think actually the this author has come out at, at some point as trans. Maybe uh, that's so cool. Uh, but yeah, I I just constantly whenever I think of Scholastic Book Fair, I think of the fucking Chronicles of Vladimir Todd. Uh, yeah, uh, I this was a good this is a good little crossover Setney is a fucking star
1: I, I I've forgotten how much I fucking love Setney <laughs> yes absolutely the standout villain of Kane Chronicles he's such a fucking smarmy up himself piece of shit god
0: he keeps doing outfit changes between scenes
1: and I think I think what's really great is that no matter what he looks like he uh, people keep describing him as looking like fucking Elvis yes because he's got like, so his hair ridiculous. in a pompadour, and he's wearing all these sparkly clothes.
0: Ancient Egyptian Elvis, it's amazing. I mean, I...
1: when you think about it, this is just, you know, this just looks like him being Elvis to Percy and Annabeth, but uh, Carter and Sadie know that he's uh, channeling the powers of famous Egyptian magician Elvis Presley.
0: Oh my god, I forgot <laughs> about that, you're right. <laughs> Holy shit. Oh, that's... Jesus Christ. I can uh, understand
1: why neither of them mention it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think that um another like really good aspect of Setney here is that he just keeps eating shit and getting back up over and over again.
1: It's really good.
0: Percy stabs him and Percy is like, uh you uh, and Setney's like oh good hit and Percy's like uh, th- th- thanks you can die now <laughs> it's really funny
1: I love yeah Percy like Setney just fucking like sincerely apologizing for not dying and then whacking Percy and stealing his sword
0: it's really good uh, <laughs> and like Carter fucking pounds him into dust at one point a camel falls on top of him and he just, every single time he just gets up is like oh sorry that didn't quite kill me you fucked up uh, and leaves <laughs> This also puts Percy in a really interesting position for this story where he is, like, Riptide-less for the first time in a really, really long time.
1: It's He can always get Riptide back somehow. Even when he was, like, memoryless and just being, like, kicked around fucking California by a couple of um, Gorgon ladies, he still had Riptide. And now it's it's just gone.
0: And frankly, I think that's fair punishment for what he says about Sadie. This is, like, this is the... This is the universe being like Percy. That was weird to say. I'm taking your sword away. This is
1: this is your brain on heterosexuality. What the fuck is this?
0: <laughs> okay, so do you want to explain this or should I?
1: I can explain it. Go ahead. Uh, Percy uh, looks over at Sadie and actually, could you explain it? to someone doing drilling outside my window. <laughs> Certainly,
0: so Percy looks over at Sadie and is like, "Huh, she reminds me of someone. You know, she kind of looks like a young Annabeth, which is also what Annabeth thought, as we know. Mm-hmm. But she also her she reminds me of like my sort of hyperactive, act- like ADHD swag. Uh, <laughs> she isn't she kind of like if me and
1: Annabeth had a daughter? <laughs> Fucking unhinged thing to say about someone you just met.
0: Yes, it is, I, <laughs> Percy." Percy what are you saying
1: Down boy
0: (laughs) God it's funny he is He got that one like confirmation From Annabeth like yeah we can spend the year together And we can go to college and stuff like that He's just like planning out their entire We know that Percy does this already (laughs) But he's planning out their entire life They are going to have two children who are Carter and Annabeth (laughs) Oh god
1: Oh Jesus fucking Christ yeah, so some, sometimes Percy has to say something completely insane. I guess that it tracks that Percy is saying completely insane shit because, like, for the first time in a while, we are back in, like, Percy first-person perspective.
0: Yeah. Which
1: is kind of, isn't it... The, all of these stories kind of shift their perspectives around a little, where Carter is doing, like, kind of... It doesn't say that it's an audio recording, but he's talking as if it's a retrospective and he's, like, addressing the reader in that way. And, like, Annabeth in the last story is, like, third-person, same as she was in Mark Athena, and then for this one, for Percy POV, we're back to like PJ Percy.
0: Yeah, you're right. Yeah, that's actually really fun. I hadn't quite noticed that, but yeah, we are. We have all the sort of like um, signature voices, I guess. Yeah. Like,
1: but I think that's really cool. Uh, I really love the detail in here where um, the first time they try to attack Setney, Setney's is able to like undo the Egyptian, the Greek magic of Anabeth's cap, uh, and I just really like that Percy knows that this like her turning visible in the cap is the first time he's seen her wearing that cap. Oh, yeah. That's just like, I don't know. It's such a nice little detail. It's like, it shows that you're really thinking about the characters and, like, how they interact. I don't know, I just like it.
0: No, I completely agree. There are a lot of, like, little moments like that. Just that, just like... You could tell that Rick Riordan isn't bullshitting his way through this, I guess is what I mean. Yeah, definitely. He cares about the characters. Like, he's not just shitting... He- He's not just shitting out some side stories. He's actually like, "Well, what Percy think about this? What do you think about this?"
1: It's it's nice. Although, uh, that being uh-huh. said, I there is a little letter tucked into the front of this, which is like from Percy to the reader, uh, and I one hundred percent believe that that was hacked out by an intern and not written by Rick Riordan. Uh, I didn't even see this letter. I don't. What was this letter? Uh, it's. I don't remember the. It's just like Percy introducing the story and being like, "This is the story of the time we met some fucking Egyptian people." Uh, but it's written as if Percy is a surfer, dude. I don't- I don't know quite how it describes- Let me- let me try and find was it very really quickly. at uh, the
0: beginning of the book, or the beginning yeah, of the story? the beginning of the book. Yeah, I don't have this.
1: Oh, this is strange. Uh, the- I- I switched from using the, uh, archive.org, uh, version of, uh, Demigods and Magicians to a different one, like, halfway through, because it was easier to get access to. And yeah, the letter's not in the front of this one, what the fuck?
0: interesting but there was a little <clears throat> a little percy being like yeah brah so i met yes. these, <laughs> I, I met these totally radical rad- radical
1: egyptians basically that was the tone of it it was it was nuts it was like how you would expect jason to talk before you hear him open his mouth and just say soldier shit
0: thank god that's really funny <laughs> uh yeah I, I i mean i guess if it's not in one of the editions there's a good chance it was just slapped together by an intern Yep. <laughs> Uh, there's a lot in here about like mortality and godhood happening. Um,
1: Setney is trying to con all of them into being like a god in his pantheon.
0: Yeah, which first, per- like, I think that's a, a hilarious way to build a pantheon. Like, imagine <laughs> that creation myth. Like, one day our our head god fought a bunch of kids and was like, "Hey, you want you want to not like instead of fighting me, you want to become a god?" And they all said yes. Like,
1: <laughs> and now he's stuck with like four gods who are just constantly scheming against him
0: god honestly not a bad not a bad pantheon just like like i don't know that's f- kind of funny um and and that sort of recurs throughout all of this like neck talks about how like oh it's so annoying when mortals become gods they always want to build fucking mcpalaces and <laughs> like I, I don't know there's
1: a lot happening there yeah i like i i know that Setney is bullshitting just to get to Percy's head when he's- but also when he's giving Percy the sales pitch of like, you really should have taken the immortality so you could ask him changes. Uh, he's right. He's just correct. Because he's like, oh, did the Olympians hold any of their promises? No, no, they fucking didn't. And Percy even
0: acknowledges that. He's like, eh, not really. <laughs> like... And Percy is able to look into Nebet's mind and confirm, like he's able to just like see into the brain of a god directly for the very first time and see that Setney is completely right. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> like that is that is wild, and I hope some like setup for Trials of Apollo where we actually go into this.
1: Please, maybe the third time that Percy realizes that the gods are no good and someone needs to get rid of them, it'll actually go somewhere. <laughs>
0: Maybe uh Percy has a has a quote healthy fear of Annabeth. Uh, which you know I get that she's a powerful warrior and all but I don't think you're supposed to have a quote like a healthy fear of your girlfriend.
1: A, a respectful fear, you know.
0: I suppose so. I suppose so. Like if I had like a werewolf if I had like a werewolf girlfriend, I suppose I would have like a healthy fear of her.
1: If I had a werewolf girlfriend, Sorry, I zoned. I zoned out for a second. What's uh? What what? Are you...
0: <laughs> Jade, Jade, your uh, your nose is bleeding. <laughs> the, this story actually confirms the theory, Annabeth's theory from the previous one, that the mist is literally just the uppermost layer of the duot. It's weird.
1: It's weird that that's the direction we're going. <laughs> fucking. It's kind of weird. I. <laughs> the much more popular impl- series about the Greek pantheon is technically subordinate <laughs> to the fucking Cain Chronicles. <laughs> Which I don't
0: hate. I I think
1: that's funny. (laughs) It is Uh,
0: funny. I'm curious, like, are we going to find out the, like, the 12 worlds or whatever of the Norse Pantheon are are just, like...
1: I'm just saying there's a sick AU out there where Setny succeeded and took over the Greek and the Norse Pantheon, and fucking Magnus Chase has to come in and save the day.
0: That would be awesome. I, I think that'd be cool. <laughs> Fuck, maybe, maybe that's the plot. That's not going to be the plot, but
1: that would be cool if it was the plot of Magnus Chase. That would fucking rip. Speaking of a uh, uh, combination uh, Greek slash Roman and Egyptian man, I do find it very funny that there's, like, I don't know where the line is between, like, you're set and you combine these magics and you become, like, fucking unstoppable to both sides. And, like, you're mad clawed, you do two sets of burial rituals, and what it means is that you never go to the fucking afterlife because neither of them works.
0: <laughs> uh-huh
1: wild that mad claude yeah. doesn't even get a mention i think
0: I, that is sad i again holding out hope for trials of apollo or something <laughs> but the fact that god mad claude never we didn't even bring this up mad claude never fucking showed up in heroes of olympus that's that was so infuriating <laughs> that's it that's utterly fucked um, they went to north africa for a little while he could have popped up oh my god you're right uh <laughs> <laughs> That'd be so. I think if he did pop up in that scene, he should, or like that, like set of chapters, he should have just been like a passerby. Like he <laughs> makes a weird comment about them. He's wearing like a, like strangely misplaced Hawaiian shirt. I, I don't know. I, he just I wanted by, have wanted right. to says
1: something homophobic about Nico and moves on. <laughs> Jesus Christ.
0: <laughs> uh, that's that's actually how Nico comes out instead. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, Mad Claw just has great Gaidar
0: god speaking of things that are fucking awesome percy being like uh percy like experiencing the duot for the first time it's like it's like a like a pressure of reality all around me it's like i've been dropped into this great liquid and then saying but i'd have been dropped into oceans before cool as fuck
1: it's yeah it fucking rips Percy's a cool character
0: he really is do you get a vibe from the story that there is like a whole theme going on of like i don't know there's like a it's got a little bit of the vibe of like the the, the the talking point from probably especially back then of like cultural appropriation versus appreciation. I had like, not
1: really gotten that vibe. What makes you say that?
0: I don't know. There's like a bit where like they're talking about like how there's a difference between sharing and stealing when it comes to mixing their pantheons. Oh. Um, and like I, it sort of reminds me of that a little bit where it's like it's trying to like the when when they talk about mixing together the powers the mythologies, mm. they're talking about how like it is dangerous and volatile, but like if you do it with respect and with like, like mutual consent, maybe it can work like Elvis did. It, like Elvis did <laughs> classically. Um,
1: <laughs> Jesus Christ. I
0: wonder if that was in the new, uh, new movie. Cause that's come out. I think since we, uh, since we did crane Chronicles.
1: Huh? oh of the Elvis movie yeah Jesus, he's a magician I hope so I hope so I think that'd be awesome
0: <laughs> uh, people talk about how Austin Butler can't lose like has like not lost the accent since doing that movie like still had it in his like acceptance ex- speech for an award I hope he ac- also accidentally like did a
1: fucking uh, he did like a magic spell and
0: exploded the room while he was He is-
1: he can actually only see into the duot now it's hellish. So sad. God. Um, Setney's end is so funny. Because he, he's... One of the, one of his ambitions when he becomes a god is to start, like, selling merchandise. Because he's such a, like, petty, small-minded moron. And his ultimate end is being sealed into one of the snow globes he was going to sell. It's incredible. I... <laughs> this is... It's the idea of, like, being able to shake
0: him around and watch him run screaming while he's just, like, <laughs> flying all It's so fucking funny.
1: It's, it's especially funny that, like, they, they confirmed that, like, his fate is going to be, like, Carter's paperweight. <laughs> he's going to have to <laughs> sit in the library with Carter and watch him study for hours.
0: You know Carter's going to get, like, a Pikachu paperweight, like, t- next year. And then <laughs> he's going to be in the, in a box for the rest of his life.
1: <laughs> oh, that's fucked. <laughs>
0: Felix is going to gift him a penguin paperweight. (laughs) Sadie shares her secret name with Annabeth.
1: She does. And that's how Annabeth, like, briefly understands how to use Egyptian magic, which is just like, that's, that's very, I get the impression that these two are friends. Like, it's, it's very fast, but I get the feeling that, like, Sadie would trust Annabeth with that.
0: Yeah. Annabeth has, like, big sister vibes to Sadie, I think. Yeah, definitely. Or, you know, mother,
1: according to Percy.
0: Oh, Jesus Christ. Right. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mm, God, P- Percy, you are going in the fucking uh, timeout chamber. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I secret names are one of the cooler parts of Kane Chronicles at times. Yeah, yeah. Like I, it, it made some for some good like emotional bits, and I, I like uh, bringing up the uh, cart like Sadie knows Carter's and her using it to make him slap himself in the face.
1: <laughs> but I also like that like that seems to be the extent to which Sadie is going to abuse that power. <laughs> Yeah, Sadie is mischievous, but she's not evil. I like Sadie.
0: I like Sadie. She's really good. Uh, anything else we want to talk about here? What do you What do you think of like the final conclusion here? Of just like it's it's too dangerous. We're gonna keep our worlds apart, but we you know, we, we we still have each other in our in our
1: hearts if we ever need to. I think that's 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 the the standard crossover send off, and I think it works. I think they've Rick has appropriately sold that this would be dangerous. That like I accept the use of this trope. And I like I like that they're friends.
0: Yeah, I agree. I, I, I love like the interpersonal thing here where just like they are they all get to be friends at the end. I do think I don't know. I think Rick Riordan, and I think that this story is built a little bit too much around like that, like we said before, like that essentialized uh oh, nationhood or whatever. Where it's just like, why is it danger like i think this would be a bit more interesting if it went a bit more it kind of does honestly i think more so than i was expecting but goes into like the purposes of like why you would syncretize and like like change gods create gods in a religion for the purposes of empire which is like you know Pretty traditionally, or like purpose of empire, trade, all those sorts of things. And it's it's um,
1: it's very wacky that it gestures at that with like the weird fake pantheon that Ptolemy made, and then doesn't like examine that in the context of the Olympians or the Egyptians.
0: Yeah, yeah, but it 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 basically assumes. Th- well, that's not how it was originally for either of them. Like they uh-huh. they they come from sort of a pure ideal. Like there is there is nothing like we know this is not true inside of uh the actual series because like we talking they're causing parasites that were created that uh-huh. are only like only exist by human will. But uh like they sort of existed without the need for, you know, humans to create them for their purposes.
1: Yeah, right? definitely.
0: And I think that is a weird conclusion to draw. Like but I do think what I think is fun here is I think I don't know, it's really fun to look in the history of like especially Egyptian like mythology. Mm-hmm. Um like ancient Egyptian religion and like see just like how much like, all right, like these are constantly being used politically in like really, really interesting ways. Like the ways that it evolved is always based on like the current ruler or mm. whoever is like, tr- whoever they're trying to like impress or like, uh, I mean, I, I like, just
1: certainly even talks uh-huh. about the fact that his dad, Ramses, the great was like very distant to him. Cause he's always like hosting Horus. And there was like, again, gesturing at that idea of like using gods politically.
0: Yeah. I, so, I, what I will—I think this went into it more than I was expecting in a way that satisfies me. Like I think this, this is this is Rick Riordan actually giving it the old college try.
1: Yeah, it's more than I would have expected. <laughs> yeah, I overall I really liked Demigods and Magicians. I think it was just a fun read. I was kind of I was kind of dreading it because I thought it was going to be you know more King. I think this is probably the best Kane Chronicles content out there. <laughs> Probably, yeah. And I know that's not a high bar to clear, but this is like this is pretty good.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think so. I guess anything else you want to say about the, uh, demigods and magicians or the Kane Chronicles or Heroes of Olympus or whatever before we put it behind us?
1: Uh, I don't think so. I it's it's fucked up. This is kind of the final chapter on both Kane Chronicles and Heroes of Olympus because the last like short stories related to those cuz this is like really putting a bookend on that.
0: Yeah. Well, goodbye. Goodbye Percy. Goodbye Annabeth. Goodbye Carter. Goodbye Sadie and next time on noa's girls hello magnus
1: <laughs> god very excited for that
0: uh do you want to do a not set?
1: we can do a quick not hat.
0: okay uh part of me wants to say there's something to like r- there's something to percy here seeing himself in sadie in a way that is mm-hmm. like he's converting it to like this must be my daughter in his like uh, conformed to heterosexuality worldview, yeah, but yeah. I I, th- I think there is an aspect of himself that is like seeing this like this girl who gets to live in a very similar way to him and being like, huh, that that's very familiar to me in a way that is kind of alien in a way like, like Percy Jackson is trans returning.
1: The, this is this is our our oldest and most dear head canon. Uh, I'm gonna say that uh, I'm gonna contradict you and say literally everybody in the story except uh, Percy is not cishet this week because the se- the sheer fucking cishetness of the thing that he actually says. Like, I completely understand your <laughs> perspective on it, but also just at, at face value, it's incredibly fucking hat of him to say that.
0: You're saying that Percy Jackson is so cishet in the, in this chapter that he makes everyone, that he, like, queers everyone else. Every,
1: everybody everybody else who has ever, like, looked at someone of, like, the same gender and been like, ooh, or, like, had just, like, a, even a little moment of, like, feeling a little a little bit of gender... Uh, it's, it all stands out uh, in contrast to the, the shit that Percy is pulling.
0: God, that's fucking funny. <laughs> Percy Jackson exists as sort of an in and out, uh, like like the the both flip sides of the coin. Really, the the singular character of all time. <laughs> Huh. Our intro and outro is Super Mario Ocean by Space Pony. You can find that at OC Remix.
1: Uh cover art is by Vera, uh, underscore N on Twitter.
0: We are hosted by the Moonshot Podcast Network. You can find us at moonshotpods.com or goodfuckingpodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter, co host Tumblr, on unwise girls. Uh, we have links to our social media accounts, our Discord. We have updates when episodes go up, visual companions, when
1: it suits. We'll need, we'll need some for this episode
0: probably yeah also if you want to support us you can go leave a five-star rating interview and in your podcast app of choice you can talk about us on the internet you can tell your friends you can be like hey these are these two weird girls got really sleepy and then <laughs> recorded a podcast about daily gods and magicians or you can give us some monetary support by going to patreon.com slash unwise girls where for a dollar a month you get a discord roll of i guess we're We'll do, we'll do the holdover. we got. We got to figure out new ones soon. Uh, Camp Counselor. For $3 a month, you get the Discord roll of Friend of Bacchus, as well as all of our bonus content.
1: Next time, we will actually finish the Homestuck Epilogues, we promise. That was a delay this week.
0: We're we going to finish the Homestuck Epilogues, and then on to greener pastures, maybe? Or mm-hmm. maybe less green. I don't know. I've been liking those. Also, for $5 a month, you get the Discord roll of Venus is Chosen, all of our bonus content, and a special thank you at the end of every episode. Speaking
1: of which, this week we'd like to thank Danny, Tana, Bree, and Erica.
0: Thank you, everyone. Thank you. And as we always say, at the end of every single episode... See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. Bye-bye. Bye! Bye!
1: Hey, CJ, is that Gahooligan's promo ready yet? Sure is, PB. You want to hear it? Yeah. Hello, Owlets. I can hear your beaks churring with the who's, the why's, and other forbidden questions about Catherine Lasky's Guardians of Gahool. Join us, the Gahooligans, twice every dwanking in the great blue yonder for some glocks given spronk, some laughter therapy, and some sub-glossous ransacking of literary merit. Okay, I only understood about a third of that. And did you use an owl swear in there? No, you didn't do the assigned reading?
0: No, that's your job, CJ. I'm just here for the owl
1: facts. Well, we'll have to work on your vocabulary. I guess you'll have to teach me every other week on Gohooligans. Only on the Moonshot Network.